0: I started to question my time. My time became really precious. I was like, hold on, you know, I work 10 hours a day. Do I really want to keep repeating that forever and only more and more money so I can have bigger houses and flasher cars? What's the point? I actually wanted my time. So no, I wanted to go back and educate myself and, and start to learn. I wanted that time. There was something in me, I can't really explain it. but I think a lot of people stumble across this at some point in their life. There is that calling in many ways that comes to them that says, really? Is this it? I think we all start to ask those questions at some point. Some of us go with it and run with it and we end off on these crazy paths like I guess like I've done in many ways. And other people, I think get stuck. And that question rattles around in their brain far too long until such a point that it feels a bit like it's too late. But on that note, it is never too late.
1: That was health and wellness entrepreneur, Andy Ramage. I'm Rowan Ghosh and welcome to Self Centred. Andy Ramage, retired footballer, successful oil trader, now entrepreneur, author, helping people to live fuller, more energised, more authentic lives through your books, through your online platform. You've helped me already, which we'll get into. I would call you a polymath. We'll get into that as well. But first of all, Andy, I just really want to know from you, what is purpose?
0: What is purpose? A purpose to me is momentum. I think that's the best word to sum it up, momentum in a direction. And I found that in my life, in general, heading in a direction, even if I'm not quite sure where I'm going, has actually grown meaning and purpose, for want of a better word. I think trying to red pen brainstorm purpose, I think, is very difficult, but I think it comes from momentum. So for me, purpose in my life right now is to inspire and motivate people to do the basics in life well because actually I think it's the basics in life that lead to a happy fulfilled life such as quality sleep quality nutrition moving their body reduction or removal of alcohol connection and quiet time those are the things that have brought unending purpose to my life and here's the secret about that I could never have known that I just didn't know that was not on my radar I could never have predicted that prior to having that momentum in my life that took me from one place to the next to the next and opened various doors to arrive at this point where we're having this wonderful podcast and this conversation hopefully coming up soon that actually has imbued me with this lifelong purpose which I think is really cool
1: Something that struck me about you Andy when I was uh, I said off air stalking you and listening to a lot of your conversations with different people <laughs> and, and looking into what you've written is that and and I really want to get your feed on this um, you have found a symptom, and you've channeled your energies into a symptom of you call it you call it momentum purpose, but a symptom of maybe a blocker to momentum and purpose, which is alcohol dependency of, of varying degrees. That's a symptom. Now what you just talked about there is inspiring and motivating people almost as a broader idea, almost as a causal. Point is that a fair assumption? Is 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 alcohol one symptom that you, of a root cause that you're looking to tackle?
0: Absolutely, you've just you've just nailed it straight away because alcohol is just the excuse to get people in the same room together. That's what I always say. Even everything we do at one, you know, beer or the stuff that I'm doing out on the internet trying to inspire people really is just to use that as an excuse as a reason to come together, because whatever people's relationship with alcohol is, it's got to the point where they want to at least change or do something different. And in that struggle, in overcoming their relationship or transforming their relationship with alcohol, opens up the gateway to meaning and purpose. So you're exactly right. And it could come from any angle. I think that's why when people sometimes transform their diet, they have a similar experience or they start moving their bodies or they find mindfulness all of those basics that i was talking about i think they're all roots in because i think they're all things that are holding people back but when you overcome them suddenly you gain this momentum there's that key word again that actually what you do matters and it builds this vibrancy and this flow where you can go actually maybe i'll look at my diet maybe i'll look at nutrition uh, my meaning and purpose and my connection and then everything starts to change so you're dead right it's just the excuse to get us in the same room
1: and you obviously had a career uh, very early on as a footballer. You then uh, you, you showed resilience to get over that knockback of getting injured and, and not being able to carry on. Uh, up the jills, by the way. Um, but um, yeah. but you, you then forged this career. And on the face of it, you were successful. You were making money. You, you, you ticked the box. You are working in the city. So when you talk about finding purpose, can you just explain what you mean by that in terms of on the face of it, you look like you had a great athletic side to you, you had been a professional footballer, and then you had looked like you had a great career. Can you talk about purpose and fulfilment in, in that kind of realm?
0: Yeah, I think in many ways... I lost my way a little bit between 25 and 35. I fell into the world of broken, which I love, by the way, and still love. I think it's a a brilliant profession, one of the few professions where there are no barriers in terms of education. Anyone can come into broken in many ways. There's lots of routes in and be super successful. It's very much a meritocracy. And I love it for that. But at the end of the day, it wasn't really doing much outside of generating income for myself right which i was good at and i enjoyed the cut and thrust of generating income and being successful and all of those wonderful things but then i got about 10 years into that and sort of had one of those slow epiphanies where i just went really is this is this it you know i could keep doing this forever right it was i was comfortable i knew what i was doing i had a business people were funding me to just show up essentially um could i do this forever do i want to do this forever and at that stage bearing in mind i was freestone heavier Body fat was over 35%. I was stressed out, maxed out. My relationships were strained across the board. I never had any time. I was incredibly unhealthy and unhappy is the truth. I was like a five out of 10 or a six out of 10. That makes no sense or it made no sense to me because I'd spent all of, well, the last 10 years trying to get to that very place, assuming like most people do, once I reached that place of material and career success, da I'd be happy. And I got there and I wasn't. And I was like, oh, hold on, this doesn't make much sense. And I looked around at the rest of the city, and I just saw much of the same. More successful people than me, broken bodies, broken minds, broken marriages. What's the point? For me, it was one of those moments of, do you know what, you can keep your money. So I didn't do something drastic like like resign there and then, but I started to think differently. I started to think, hold on, is there more I can do? And actually, funny enough, and I haven't spoken about this a lot, it just came to me before we started the podcast, I got interested in Wilma, Wilma Gaskell. Not sure if you're I familiar come with across Will. Him, no. He has. He's a really interesting guy. He was the youngest ever professor of um, uh, philosophy at Oxford. He has a movement called Effective Altruism, which basically is a movement that's suggesting that people put a percentage of their income to certain charities that are the most effective. So he does loads of research in the background, finds out the charities that are the most effective, and then encourages people to put a chunk of their money to, towards that. Because what he says is this, if we were to leave our well-paid jobs, such as a broker and go out to Africa, for example, and donate our time and effort, what could we really do? Like me, I wouldn't have a clue. I can't even change a light bulb. But what he was saying is, if you stay within those certain careers, you can actually fund all this amazing good in the world by earning a lot of income and giving a lot of it away. So I got really interested in that. I thought that's because I was struggling for meaning and purpose in my own job. I thought maybe if I can align with that, That might be the gateway to bringing great meaning and purpose back into my life. And in that sort of struggle, in that wrestle, I decided to take a break from alcohol. And that in itself started to gain its own momentum. And then partway through that experience, I thought, actually, do you know what? I think I know what I can do now. I can start to share my story and my experience with other people. And that might bring this meaning and purpose although I wasn't looking for it in that sense it just started to happen but it was obviously rattling around my mind because I was already starting to think about the affective um, altruism movement. and
1: just on that that's really interesting and thanks for sharing I mean I um I set up my company called Epiphany funnily enough uh, a couple of years ago with it with almost exactly the same kind of life affirming moment that, that was dragged out over a year or so to actually make the change but um so I completely empathize with that. But for, for me and for those listening, why, why couldn't you just carry on making money and donating? What did, in you, what changed that meant that you could no longer do that effective altruism?
0: Because I, the truth is I didn't think it, it didn't feel like it was enough. You know, I was trying to do something to, to imbue my broken career, with this meaning and purpose, and I just couldn't quite get there with effective altruism. I needed to do something else. I started to question my time. My time became really precious. I was like, hold on, you know, I work 10 hours a day. Do I really want to keep repeating that forever, earning more and more money so I can have bigger houses and flasher cars? What's the point? I actually wanted my time. The thing for me was precious. I wanted my time to learn, to study, to share so that started to really gain momentum as well in the background so I went back to university bearing in mind I left school at 16 so I went back to university part-time
1: presumably you, you were a good old YTS scheme were you at 16 yeah, yeah. I, was, yeah I,
0: my YTS I loved it you know but I left you know I had that lovely choice I you know it was it was my academic career and rugby funnily enough or football and I chose football which was the greatest decision I ever made even though it didn't work out you know to the traditional um success story it was still the greatest decision I ever made um so no I wanted to go back and educate myself and and start to learn I wanted that time there was something in me I can't really explain it but I think a lot of people stumble across this at some point in their life there is that calling in many ways that comes to them that says really is this it I think we all start to ask those questions at some point some of us go with it and run with it and we end off on these crazy paths like I guess like I have done in many ways and other people I think get stuck I think too many people the truth get stuck and that question rattles around in their brain for far too long until such a point that it feels a bit like it's too late but on that note it is never too late by the way we're all just that
1: thing that you said i'm going to be a bit mean here that thing that you said you can't describe that was inside you (laughs) was it a nagging thing was it a physical thing was it a, a wake up sweating thing or was it more subtle than that what what kind of thing was in you that was was biting or eating away at you
0: Uh, that's a really (laughs) good question so let me try and describe it it was a nagging it was a nagging sensation of is this it which actually i think a lot of people have it was like really am i gonna just do this for the next 10 20 30 years and then retire and then do what you know, sit around and play golf. I I just don't know. I could sort of see into the future and I didn't like it. It was almost a bit like, you know, the Christmas carol of projecting into the future going, Really? What? I just don't get it. What where's the value that I'm adding? Don't get me wrong. I love that industry. But for me it just reached that point of no, I think I I just got I've got to do something different. This is just this is not gonna keep me going for much longer unless I change in some shape or form.
1: You said you saw a lot of your colleagues going through similar things presumably some of them have stuck with it stuck with the careers um and a lot of people uh, yeah, listening I'm, to this might be I, in the same quandary where they're thinking there is something nagging away i do need more i do have this this thing that's that's this sometimes popping its head up but i've also got a mortgage i've also got kids i can also go on nice holidays you know that kind of stuff they might be having that battle
0: Yeah. And I mean, what I will say from my own experience is that I think seven, it took me seven years to finally step away from broken is the truth. So these things, I think it's mythology, these overnight successes and that people go, "Da da, I'm just going to rush out of my job tomorrow and I'm going to go off and find myself and don't worry about the family and the kids and the mortgage and all that stuff. It will all work out. I think that's terrible advice. I know it's that sort of burn your bridges type of approach. I think that's terrible advice. I did it incrementally over many years probably i think five years i was involved with one you know beer for five years and probably the two years prior to that i was already starting to think about different things in my life and it took me seven years before i finally stepped away from Broken. and by then one you know beer had built significant momentum that at least economically it wasn't a total shock it was probably a 90 percent pay reduction if not more, which is rather large <laughs> to say the yeah. least. But I knew it was coming and I was prepared for it because at that point in my life, I was ready to go all in and there was momentum there rather than this, I'm just going to rush out and try and figure out what's going on. I did it before work. And this is part of my story. It became very important to me. I wanted that time. Therefore, one of the reasons I stopped drinking because I wanted my time and drink and alcohol st- stole it from me. I couldn't, mornings were never on the cards. I could not get up in the morning. Whilst alcohol was in my life, when I removed it, I got up half an hour, an hour, two hours a day. You can change the world in two hours a day. So if anyone's listening and they've got that nagging feeling, there are no excuses. Find the time. It is there if you're willing to commit to it. It just is. I've seen it from my own eyes and I've seen it from thousands of other people's. The time is there if you want it to be there. And in that time, use it wisely. Do the study. As I said, it's taken me seven years to get to this point. Start the side hustles, experiment, and then back to what I said right at the start. That's the momentum that I'm talking about. That momentum in your life leads you on this journey. You don't really know you're going to end up. And then maybe along the line, if you're lucky, and I feel very blessed and lucky, you stumble upon this thing that actually then imbues you with this meaning and purpose. And off you go on a completely different tangent such as I'm on right now
1: <laughs> I'm just giving you a clout because I'm buzzing off that that's, um, that's okay. certainly what I needed or wanted to hear this morning uh, it's incredibly empowering uh, what I like is that you're doing it you're not talking about it yeah. you put your, you took a 90% pay cut you're doing it and obviously you, you weren't reckless it's not an overnight story you didn't do it you, you didn't put your family at risk you took seven years but you did it um, you talked earlier about the effect it's had on you. Now you talked about relationships and I find this interesting because people often think that if I am more in service of myself, if I am more, because it's a massive luxury to do what, what you have done and what I've done to a degree, which yeah. is to take control, to take time back, to take to, to use your time for what you believe in, for your purpose. That's a huge luxury. That's life's biggest luxury you could argue. Um, and and you know there might be a misconception that by doing that it's all about you. You feel great. You're suddenly ten xing yourself, your body, your mind, your your everything. But actually, you mentioned relationships earlier, and I want to pick. I want to dig into this because that's a really interesting thing that gets overlooked. Once you follow, and I'm talking purely from my own perspective. Once you follow your path, you choose the the, the road less trodden, which is more difficult at first. But once you're on that path, suddenly those around you start benefiting, those people that you care about, those people that are in your life, they start benefiting, they start being part of that success story. And you mentioned relationships. I just wanted to hear more from you about how that may have affected those around you.
0: Yeah, and what's really interesting about what you just said, I think what holds people back is fear around their relationships because there was quite a long period where I felt – really selfish, as it were. I felt a bit selfish in the sense that, like, am I putting my family at risk? You know, am I putting my wife at risk? You know, we've had this nice lifestyle, you know, and I think that holds people back very often, that fear of change and that fear of comfort. But what I will say is this. I read some brilliant research years ago. I can't remember the exact research, but it was from Daniel Kahneman, author of Hmm. Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. And he talks about the psychological immune system. And I love this idea. And I I say this to a lot of people. Basically, the way the brain works, when you try and project into the future, you use your emotions in the present moment. So it's never an exact science. So what happens is when you think about, oh, my God, if I take this opportunity and suddenly we're earning a lot less money, and then all all the present day emotions start to bubble up because you couldn't quite imagine surviving on a 90% pay cut. And it's like really fearful. But the truth is this. When you actually reach that place, you feel completely different. So it almost allows you a bit of a free shot to take a few risks in your life, because even if it doesn't quite work out, you will feel so different when you get there that you'll be able to handle it, if you know what I mean. And for me, that made a big difference. So now in my life and my relationships, they're 10 times better than they were. One, because I'm around a lot. I see my kids. I never miss netball matches or class assemblies. I'm around with my wife all the time, which I love spending time with her. I think not so much the other way around. <laughs> I think
1: we, I think I we all we can all say that actually, Andy. Yeah, I'm a bit under a feel. <laughs> yeah, know same. that feeling. Um, that's the. By the way, anyone listening, that's the downside for your wives or your partners is that you suddenly are around a lot more, which which uh, comes yeah. with its own challenges. Let's say
0: <laughs> it, it does. But genuinely, as a team, because I do view our, our little family as a team, but we couldn't be happier. We're all aligned with what I'm trying to do. It might go wrong. Who knows right? what lies around the corner? But I think there's so much empowerment. I love the fact that my kids see me doing something that's trying to make a difference. I could have easily kept doing what I was doing, and we could have gone on nice holidays all the time. Daddy would have been stressed out, overweight, unfit. And probably the real hard truth is daddy probably wouldn't have been around for much longer i genuinely i believe that so it's the most wonderful thing i think i've ever done for my relationships even though there's a bit of you that felt feels a bit selfish at the start to take that risk but ultimately it's win-win for everyone concerned i think
1: and is there something around i mean we we talk about i don't want to sound, sound too grandiose but if we're talking about a transformation of sorts because you're talking about your body and your mind and your environment and your day-to-day changed which is okay it took a while but it, it changed if we're talking about that kind of change on that level, that transformation, we, we have this voice inside, whether you wanna call it the nagging voice, wisdom, whatever you wanna call it, it's there. As human beings, we, we have some nice traits, don't we? We do, we have, wis- we have wisdom, whether we put things in the way of it, whether it's alcohol, whether it's any kind of addiction, whether it's lifestyle. We put things in the way, but wisdom is there. Altruism is there. It's within. It's innate. It's, it's a great thing about humans, something I love to celebrate. But sometimes the bit missing is the action part. And it's you've talked... You've been speaking about taking your time, not rushing, not thinking it's got to happen in an hallelujah moment and everything changes overnight. Um, and you talked about momentum. I just want to pick that up a little bit more. Is it like... Um, rolling a snowball down a hill when you talk about momentum in that when it's small at the top just pushing it away and it maybe it still stays quite small as it gathers momentum it gets bigger and bigger and it's the action that is the bit that's missing and i also would love you to tie it into what you're doing now with with one year no beer because you, are, you have got momentum. You did get investment. You know, it is the, the ball, the snowball is becoming bigger. I'm talking about snowballs because we've both got snowball microphones. But so forgive the analogy, but, but the momentum is growing. Would it be fair to say?
0: Yeah, and I think the hardest part is starting. You know, it's that inertia of getting started in whatever it is you're trying to do in life, whether that's to go back and study or whether it's to start a side hustle. The hardest bit is setting up the business or putting your first Facebook post out and that fear of everyone's gonna think I'm stupid or like who am I or doing a, a posting a post on LinkedIn and you know, I get a lot of people just to post on LinkedIn and it freaks them out you know even that action that momentum because you know it's that tall poppy syndrome I think that many of us suffer from so when I talk about momentum it's very much it's getting started, and then momentum co- combined with consistency I think they're sort of wrapped up in one really i think consistency is king whatever it is you want to achieve effectively if you show up enough times and do the small goal steps that you need to do you can pretty much achieve most things in life such as write your book you just got to show up and write 250 words enough time and by the end of it you have your book or you've got to show up and do your facebook lives enough time to build that thousand true fans that actually might unlock a new business um and in our case with one you know beer that's very much how how it started it was having the courage the hardest bit was starting with one you know beer because it took a lot of courage to come out and say we're going to do this thing around giving up uh, taking a break from alcohol in our industry, which was awash with alcohol, we were really fearful that we might be disowned by our own industry to say, like, who do you guys think you are? What are you on about saying that we shouldn't be drinking? That wasn't our message, by the way. But you know, we were playing that around in our mind, and it took tons of courage to put that first ebook up on the tinter web. And I almost winced when I put it up. It was like, oh no, is everyone going to read this and go, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? What a load of rubbish, you know, and I'd be like inundated with all these sort of troll type emails. And literally it was press send, wince. Oh, it's out there now, right? Now the ball's rolling. Now I'm getting emails from people going, oh, my God, your message around alcohol that there's nothing to give up and everything to gain. And it's this positive approach to taking a break is really resonating. I've just transformed my relationship with alcohol. My relationship with my wife's better. I'm doing more business. Next email, next email. Suddenly, now I'm in the game, right? And that snowball is gathering momentum. And then to such a point, you just keep rolling with it, you know? And then it's, you write the book, The 28 Hour Go-Free Challenge. We get our first round of investment. Next round of investment, we go in again for more investment. You know, now the mission is to try and meet a million people. Like, how did that happen? It happened from that tiny bit of action, which was having the courage to just put something out there. Right. and that was really difficult but that's where the key is in that first moment from i think from
1: am starting the ball at the top of the hill and let's not let's not yeah you know let's be totally honest about this we need people to step up now you know we've got a climate catastrophe yeah. someone described it to me not as climate change it's climate damage you know we've damaged this planet and we continue to do so there's lots of other challenges that we're living in we need people to step up and be authentic we need people to follow their hearts and their passions and to 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 bring good into the world, into into others around them. We need people to find their one thousand true fans because then you create the movement, you have the support, you have the community, which I know one year no beer gives you in a in a neatly formed package. But it's that fear, isn't it, Andy, of of the peers of of your company, you know, of the being a tall poppy, especially in the UK. I'll, I'll probably probably say that we we've got that more Absolutely. than more than most. What some practical advice for for taking that on? Because you've been through it. You were in a macho industry. <laughs> you were in the city of London. You were talking, you weren't, you know, singing off the hymn sheet. Uh, you were singing against it. You were talking about cutting alcohol and that's prevalent in the culture. Some practical advice for people. If they're, I've got a friend who works for a big corporate and he is the most purpose-driven guy I, I think I've met. But he has, you know, young family and he's worried Every time he tries to do something, he gets, his, he gets pulled back in. You know, they don't want him to stick his neck out. Yeah. What advice would you give for people listening who are looking to do that transition, but without getting sacked in the process? <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, and I know, and I think there is that fear that, and I think that type of fear really holds us back because, you know, there's this real sense, this innate sense of remaining part of the tribe. And I think we should never underestimate the power of that because historically being thrown out of the tribe meant death. So especially in the social and in a work environment, especially it it feels like that tribe that if we get thrown out of, we will die. If we lose our job, we will, you know, it's literally linked to that like real visceral core experience. Therefore it's unbelievably powerful. Therefore, very often we want to please, especially in a work scenario. But I think some brilliant advice and I stumbled upon this. um, and And this is in my, Latest book, Let's Do This, shameless plug. So part of that, what I advise people, because this is really important, what happens from that historical primitive part of our brain, because it wants to remain part of the tribe, it wants to please everyone. It wants to please all of your colleagues, all of your bosses, all of your extended friends, people that you've ever met. And it's really unsettling because it's constantly trying to stay in this gigantic tribe, whereas historically you would have had a small tribe, a really small, close-knit group of family and friends that you would have want to nurture those relationships because they would have been very important because to be thrown out would have meant death. So a really good exercise, and this helped me, is to identify your own personal tribe. And it will be very small. It will be your immediate family, maybe your children, your wife, and maybe a couple of friends. That's it. And the reality is, even by like making the visceral experience of identifying that tribe, like writing them out, the reality is they're the relationships that matter. They're the people and the relationships that you need to nurture. They're the people that you want to stay in with and in a please, and you know, for them to be proud of. They're all that really matters. And actually, everyone else, while you need to remain civil, clearly, and friendly, their opinion doesn't matter. They're not in your immediate tribe. And I think when you start to connect with that, it starts to give you a little bit of confidence of, yeah, do you know what? You're right. Actually, you're true. I can take a few more risks, because so what if the line manager or the, the boss of the boss turns around and says, what are you doing? Really? You could find another job. Your family will still support you. Your best friends will still support you. And the fact that you've had the courage to do something a bit different might open all sorts of different doors. So I think that's just a really nice little exercise just to give you a little bit of extra courage rather than when you're caught in that I'm trying to please everyone mode. It becomes so fearful you can't ever make a step forward. Whereas once you identify your tribe, then you can.
1: Do you think part of this comes to? I know you're a big fan of the growth mindset um, thinking and uh, versus fixed mindset. Do you, do you find that? Um and I called you a polymath at the beginning, which is, is a word I didn't even know what it meant. Um, somebody wrote it uh, on LinkedIn and I had to get my dictionary out. Uh, they actually wrote it as a referral um, for me and I had to get my dictionary out. it apparently means you can do quite a few things uh, uh, reasonably well. So it's kind of a jack of all trades, but with some, with some element modicum of skill, you are definitely a polymath because of your varied uh, journey. And were you able to take that journey because of the growth mindset? Because some people might be listening thinking, yeah, I'm a bit worried. Uh, I have commitments, etc." cetera. Um, and a lot of the what you're talking about is having a default position that says, I can learn, I want to learn, I want to change. I can be better. I won't accept things as they are. I can improve things. I have the power within me to do that. I I, I absolutely empathize with that, but it might not come... Or certainly there might be people who aren't at that stage or don't have that default
0: setting to be able to yeah. do that. And one of the other things that I discovered is this failure's part of the process. And what I mean by that is that as soon as I got really comfortable with that, as soon as you step outside your comfort zone, guaranteed, you're going to mess it up. You're going to get it wrong. Someone's going to say, what are you are doing? Someone's going to say, you're mad, you're crazy. Don't do that. You might get berated for it. You might get emails going, who, who the hell do you think you are? As soon as you step outside your comfort zone, that's going to happen. But then I looked at the research and actually realized there's a great model of change called the trans-theoretical model, or stages of change model, which sort of feeds this perfectionist mindset that most people slip into, don't they? It's like, if I'm going to make change, it's got to be perfect. I can't fail. If I fail, I'm going to look stupid. Therefore, I'm just not going to do it. Whereas if you look at the stages of change model, it sort of feeds the perfectionist myth, because it looks like a perfect circle. But if you look at the research behind it, on smokers, for example... It was taking them four to five times around the circle. So what does that tell us? Slip up, stumbles, fumbles, blips. They're part of any sort of change process. So this started to give me, I think, the confidence that, do you know what, if I step outside my comfort zone to to make change or do something new, there's a high chance I'm going to stumble and fumble and slip up and make mistakes. But that's part of the process. So I think when you can embrace that as an opportunity To learn, you become a bit fearless then because it's like, I know I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to learn from it and come back. So it is that growth mindset. I think it's such an important mindset to have as opposed to the fixed mindset, which is very much like that perfectionist mindset of unless I'm doing it perfectly and don't make any mistakes, I'd rather not do it. But the problem is, as I've just described, you will always make mistakes. You will always get it wrong as soon as you step outside your comfort zone. So the quicker you can get comfortable with that, the faster you'll make progress
1: it's really uh it's really um inspiring to hear this vocalized because i think that it's really easy to chew over this stuff um in your mind in your heart um daily and kind of almost you need that affirmation you almost need somebody often yourself to say hey it's okay what you're doing is right and we get that in the work environment don't we because we get appraisals we get line yeah. managers we get colleagues we get people who are um going to tell us that we're either doing things right or doing things wrong and that's very safe and that's very that, that's very helpful for us i want to widen this out to to your platform one year no beer and from what i can see that is you bring the community element front and center of that so that affirmation side of it is catered for and when we're talking on a wider perspective of one you know beer is as much a is as much about the root cause of 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 freedom purpose all that kind of nice stuff as much as it is about giving up alcohol how big a part does the community play in that and what does it serve exactly
0: yeah i mean the community is is everything in many ways and and what's interesting about one you know beer we we wasn't even going to have a community initially we just sort of set it up on a bit of a whim and went, well, I guess we need to set up one of these Facebook things. I wasn't even on Facebook or Instagram. I've never been on social media. I've only ever been on there through the one you know beer. So it was all this, a bit of a novelty. But what happened over time, which we didn't realize, I think there is a yearning for connection in society. Uh, Johan Harries, I don't sure if you've yeah, read yeah. his book, Lost Connections, Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam, which is a real seminal book from about seven, eight years ago really talking about the decline of connection in our society actually being the underlying cause, I think, for many of the malaise and, and maladies that we face in terms of depression and anxiety and all these sort of I, I, very much, I think, mental health and physical health issues coming back to the fact that we're all seeking connection. And what's really interesting, I run masterclasses within One You Know Beer. And bear in mind, these are smaller groups of people that have come through this alcohol-free adventure really energised, likeable, lovable, upbeat people. And literally all of them collectively, myself included, were scoring really low on our connection. I think it's just, you know, this modern day disease. And and there's that great bit of research that um, Johan Hari points out, which is social scientists, about 30 years, asked people in America, uh, it was quite a big survey, how many people they could turn to in a moment of crisis or a moment of celebration basically who are their best, how many best friends they have. The answer was three. They run that same survey about four years ago. The answer, none, zero. Isn't that amazing? Like it can't go lower than that. It can't go to minus one. It is now like bottomed out. It's zero. So back to that point, I think the community is everything. Not only is it a wonderful community at you No Beer, what happens because people come in with this relationship around alcohol, it cuts out all that layer of fluff that social media layer of fluff, like, Hey, I'm on holiday having an amazing time. You know, every time I post, it's amazing. Whereas inside Bonnie, no beer and our community, the closed groups and Slack and on Facebook, it's instant. It's like, hi, I'm having a really great day. I'm loving being alcohol free or actually, do you know, I'm struggling a bit today. Can I have some help? So the bond forms so quickly that, It's very inspirational and aspirational. And then combined with the fact that when you go in there, you see people like you, and maybe you're on day one, and they're on day 30 or day 60 or day 365. It just creates this wonderful environment, not only to inspire people, but also for people to get that connection. I know it's online, so it's not as good as in person. But for many people, that's the next best thing. So that in itself has been, it's changed everything that we do in many ways. The, the, The tribe alone, they're just stunning.
1: And it's permission, isn't it? It's okay to be deep it's okay not to be fluffy and talk about sausage legs on holiday it's okay <laughs> to show your scars publicly you know to, to not have to show your best self at all times it, that all of that stuff is okay to do do you not think Andy that that <laughs> you should widen this out one year my path something like that so that it's a platform whatever is holding somebody back it feels like connection is one of the true ways through. Whether it's, uh, and let's think about what comes out of a lack of connection, insular, being insular, uh, ego. Um, then what comes out of ego is greed and all these nasty things that are, we see in our world of divisive, pe- people being very divided, communities yeah. being divided. It feels like the root cause of all that is almost that lack of connection, that lack of empathy, that lack of being real and open. Do you feel like we need a one year kind of my path, my purpose, my peace, it struck me that that's, and I just have to say that I've just done the old MBA with Seth Godin and uh, it was really interesting because more than anything, (laughs) I took three things away. One, I opened up to random strangers all around the world and and lots of crazy stuff came out (laughs) and that was liberating. Two, I should shut up more and listen to people, even people with opposing viewpoints. And three, I should show up more. I should be Mm -hmm. present, I should be purposeful because that gives us all the goodness that we've just been talking about. And that was an interesting online platform, community that carries on. Now, I think everything you've spoken about you're using the channel of alcohol, but actually you're treating a much broader problem in society that you've touched on, that I've touched on.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think our mission so do, 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 going... Do
1: you, need a bit, do you need to widen it is my question. <laughs> Please widen it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really drink. so <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, and that, that is the plan. It's, it's moving that way. So we're already piloting a thing called Live Life Better, which is where it's all going effectively so that will be that end that community that basically sits that are now empowered that want to live life better effectively Um, and there'll be various routes into that it could be alcohol could be sugar could be gambling could be lack of meaning and purpose but the idea is that all roads lead to this platform this community that is living life better essentially which will be all about connection all about development and nutrition and You know, climate change, all those wonderful things. I'd like to get in there to inspire this group of people that are coming together to go, do you know what? I want to do things differently. I want to think differently. I want to connect differently. And within that environment, once we're all in the same room together, then to try and go on to lead these better lives and whatever that is in society. Again, whether that's to try and do our bit as much as we can around climate change and all these things that I think you're passionate about, that I'm becoming much more passionate about. So yes is the answer. It's, It's going that way most definitely
1: i mean i'm passionate about that stuff for a for a very selfish perspective, I, you know, you you call it, um, I think you said effective altruism. I call it performance altruism because we all, uh, you know, I strongly feel that when I give, I get way more back. So when I'm thinking more holistically wider about other people, what, I've got a post-it here, king of the post-its, you know, what can I give now? When I think about that, I'm taking the focus away from me and I'm putting it into the world and that gives me energy. So it's a very selfish, it's a very self-centered um, approach. Um, no pun intended well there is a pun intended it's the name of this podcast series so I want to wrap things up with tactics because first of all you, you having stalked you a little bit and having spoken to you now it's incredibly apparent how well read you are now whenever I listen to podcasts um of people I admire they're all very well read and they've all citing books and passages and things like that I have a vacuous memory and also I have uh, the slowest reading pace I think of anyone and so I would like to read more but I, but I don't read I don't read as much as I'd like G- give us some, some some actionable tips on how you get through so many books
0: yeah I try to read books that are not too long <laughs> 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 it's glaringly obvious. If it looks like this is the behemoth of a book, I'm like, I just don't think I could I could handle that. I like books that are really punchy and, and re- relatively short. For example, I love Seneca, anything by the great philosopher Seneca. He has a, a lovely book called On the Shortness of Life. It's a tiny book. Um, I'm just trying to think. Some, uh, I love uh, David Henry Thoreau, Into the Woods, Walden. It's not a particularly long book. But these are these things just will... Ch- you know, I love reading because I genuinely... And podcasts. And I'm not just saying that because we're on a podcast. I think podcasts are running a close second to books these days. And, and obviously, we didn't used to have podcasts, right? So I think that's a huge sea change in the way that people absorb uh, learning. But for me, books are the greatest self-development tool you will ever have in your life. You know, for £10 or whatever it is, you could read something, just one line... That fundamentally changes the way that you see the world. I just don't think there's many other things that can do that. Again, outside of podcasts, I genuinely believe podcasts have the ability to do that these days. So for me, the way I read is to, is to read sort of short books and then try and read wherever I can. But even Audible, Audible is brilliant now. Every book goes onto Audible, get it into your ears, or podcast. And then I write notes. So I write in the margins because I'm like you, it's, it's gone. And, and I, I stopped reading for a long while because I thought, what's the point? I can never remember anything and then I read some research that told me that actually most people forget 80 or 90% of the book that they just read within the first two months so I thought actually I'm just normal I'm behaving like everyone else so now I'm going to like make notes I'm going to write notes up I'm going to write little blogs and and just ideas around it and then the stuff sticks you know you only retain two or three big points but that's all you need right to to change your world so yeah make them short. Sure. If you can, don't try and accuse. And if a book's not speaking to you, move on to the next one. Don't suffer in silence. and make Because then it's the habit of reading that's most important, not necessarily always getting the right content because you're going to stumble into some books. But here's the thing, and I won't keep you up much longer.
1: Mm, when you read a book,
0: it always leads to another book. I can almost tell you the litany of all the books because I've read one book that's led to a, a, an interesting person that's led to a book that's led to another interesting person that's led to stoicism, for example, or transforming my diet to plant-based or changing my relationship with alcohol. It's all come through books.
1: It's, uh, there's so much I'd love to speak to you about. <laughs> We're confined by time. One thing I will pivot onto well first of all do you have a list of books you recommend anywhere that people can look at or can you do that somewhere that we can see yeah
0: I'll do that for you. uh, yes I'll I'll do a sort of a bit of a top 10 of of different ones that people enjoy that would be amazing
1: that would be absolutely amazing Uh, just wanted to ask we we were on practical and we were on your your habits and you talked about having that fear setting habit Um, any other habits that can get can help people daily morning habits that can get people through this journey they're going to need support
0: um yeah, find a tribe. Doesn't have to be well, you know Beer, far from it, but find a tribe of like-minded people. I think that's really important. If you can find time in the mornings, do everything you can to, to carve out some time in the morning, even if you're not a morning person. Like we all need a bit of space, we all need a bit of me time just to go deep. Deep work's another great concept, very obvious. Guy called Cal Newport, Deep Work, brilliant book. Just about finding 30 minutes or an hour away from the phone, away from distraction that time is so quality you can literally change the world so i think mornings are really important sleep is key even though i'm telling you to get up earlier i think prioritize your sleep sleep and well i do these big talks at corporates i was at adobe recently amazon just before that and the two things that i always say to them that will power up your productivity your motivation your performance your health your vitality prioritize sleep and take a break from alcohol do those two things that make a massive change
1: Well, thanks for getting to the end. (laughs) The show note and links are available for you on the show page with links to things that we spoke about. And if you would like to see any of my projects uh, that I'm working on at the moment, you can do so at epiphanyideas.co.uk. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me on hello at epiphanyideas.co.uk. And finally, I'd just like to take this chance to wish you all the best in stepping up and following your passion.